You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 166 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. This has been like amazing to get to hang out with you again. I know, week. so cool. It's like, yeah, too much. Are we getting sick of each other or I, is it, you know? <laughs> I'm, I should come down to Melbourne more often or yeah. you should come to no, Sydney. No, I'm coming, I'm coming up. Yeah, yeah especially sure. to go on my non-existent boat. Yeah, I can't wait for the boat. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait because I know you're going to do burnouts or you're going to – am I allowed to drive? No. Why not? Well, you don't have a boat license. Yeah, but well, yeah, so, I, like, but like what about if I get my car. L's with you? Are you allowed to teach me, like, now that you've got um, a legit license? Yes. If you actually pass your theory, so theory, I can take you out on a logbook kind of trip. Hey, are there blinkers on a boat? When you turn, do you have to indicate, like, at the lights? <laughs> you know, if you're going to turn – well, some boats might, but not all boats would. You have certain rules that yeah. you need to follow, yeah. you know, depending on who gives right away and yeah. who is positioned where yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So and, you're Captain Valerie and you have Coo to, now? and because, <laughs> well, I don't know, but because um, it depends on where you're positioned, the other person should know who's got the right of way and that it should be clear what you're you know, going to do kind of thing. I've just thought of something. Yes. If you're the captain of the ship, yes. right? Does do, that make you it, Gilligan? No. But if you were on a ship yes. and there was lots of your friends yes. and, like, two people decided that they wanted to get married, <laughs> you're a captain. Are you allowed to No, I'm not marry? a captain. I'd like, well, captain. I don't know. <laughs> you, you need to find this stuff out. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that that is a priority. I know, but these are the things I think about <laughs> randomly that come into my head. That's great. Are you planning on coming to Sydney and getting on my non-existent boat and getting married to somebody? No. Okay. Once was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it there then. Um, but definitely you should make a trip. So let's move on to this week's episode and because uh, we've got uh, an interview with Marina Oliphant. Now, I have been admiring Marina's work for some years now because she's been around for a bit and I've watched her, her, her evolve and I've seen her photography, especially in a lot of Fairfax publications because I read a lot of Fairfax publications and I wrote for Fairfax before and um, – and uh, and so, yeah, I think it's great that we've got her on the podcast. Tell me more. So, you know, 
there's a lot of we see a lot of food photography, but particularly nowadays, where like people love to Instagram their food. But there's like there's a lot more to good food photography than you know just doing a snapshot on Instagram hashtag blessed. You know, <laughs> it, it, like great food photography, like is mm. a, it's it's a, like a beautiful mix of uh, science and art, and that's what Marina does. That's what I love, and I I like you have like loved her work forever, and she. Um, also is an exceptional portrait photographer and some of her celebrity portraits uh, over the years have been uh, incredible. She really captures uh, something in that person, you know, in those celebrities that is different to a lot of the other images, uh, which is a beautiful skill and done. And she talks about this uh, in the episode in very little time when you do those press junkets when they give you literally like seconds to get a shot, and uh, she managed to uh, pull out some some great techniques to get that. And and like her food images, when I look at them, they look like they're lit by the food photography gods. <laughs> they like the stuff, so it's it's like it's kind of like this really sophisticated. She geeks out a little bit in the podcast, which is really cool to hear. She knows her stuff, and there are so many like aha moments for me. It was like. I, 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 I loved it. I was taking notes. So for for those of you listening who are wanting to get into food photography, and this is the kind of thing that even if you're a portrait photographer, you can be asked to, hey, uh, we've got this uh, lifestyle shoot that we want to do. We need people. But like for the restaurant, can you get some food stuff? It's just good to know how to do it well. So, And how to do it well is you can shoot with daylight, but you're kind of um, really limiting what you can do because daylight only allows you to do so much and when the lights cucker, <clears throat> you can't do much. So this is she shares her techniques for lighting, which you can really simplify and apply um, to your photography. So heaps of good takeaways. I hope you enjoy the, uh, the interview. Hey, Marina. Welcome to the show. How are you going? Well, thanks, Gina. Thanks for having me on. Where in the world are you at the moment? Um, I'm at home in Janjuk, which is right next to Torquay um, on the surf coast in Victoria, about uh, an hour and 15 out of Melbourne. Fantastic. And you, uh, your partner has kindly taken the kids out of the house for you, which is probably what I should have done <laughs> with my dog, <laughs> Carrie, who wants to bark at everything that goes past. So uh, that's very kind of him. And he's taken them to like uh, where dreams come true, Bunnings, right? Yes, I think they're doing a bit of a Bunnings trip um, and a cafe trip so they'll be they'll be happy to be out of the house and oh. if they were here I'm sure they'd be um they would, yeah this just would not be possible because they're very loud and rambunctious so it's, yeah it's it's a win for us both to have them out of the house I well I appreciate the family effort that's gone into <laughs> having you um speak to us now I've uh followed your work for many many years and uh I love your food photography I also love your editorial photography uh and uh, so I really was keen to have you uh, on the show to talk about particularly your, your food stuff. So uh, can you remember what your first food shoot was like? Ah, um, <laughs> I'm going to start feeling quite old now. Um, I think, well, I started, 
I started a bit of food photography. It's sort of amateur food photography when I was at uni at RMIT, and yeah. I because we had um we had a studio class um in each of the years, and I um I think in second year studio, I, this this will also show how old I am. I used to I, I probably didn't even know what a food stylist was at that stage, or my, I might have just been becoming aware of it. But um, also the the whole food styling thing hadn't really blown up yet because um, we were sort of a bit before Donna Hay at this stage. Uh-huh. Um, so I used to go over to Daimaru, <laughs> which used to be in Melbourne Central and hasn't been for many years. So that's um, Daimaru, sorry to cut you off there. Daimaru uh, is at a Japanese department store. Yes, and Donna yes. Hay, Donna Hay, do you want to describe Donna Hay to um, uh, our, our uh, sort of uh, Northern Hemisphere listeners? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like sure. She was like a guru in food, but what did she do that like she revolutionised uh food the the food industry really that's yeah. it's a lot to, to put on a single woman but she did yeah, she really did and I think she's actually really well known in the states I'm not I'm not sure about where else but I know her magazine gets sold in the states and she really she really sort of changed um changed food styling and food well food photography because of her food styling um and and the style of photography that her photographers did um she really was at the forefront of uh, of what have been the modern looks for the past 20 years I'd say and I like I can remember back to my parents um cookbooks you know (laughs) from the 70s yeah and the whole style you know it was so different to what it is now and I think Donna Hay was really at the forefront of changing that and her styles evolved as well but I think you know it started out to be really sort of white on white that look which was really was a really beautiful contrast to what had been for so many years but um then she's really taken that um so far and I think yeah she was sort of the 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 forerunner of all of that but yeah when I was at uni you know I don't think think she um had really made her mark yet and um so Oh, actually, she she may have because the Marie Claire cookbooks may may have been starting to come out. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, yeah, because I think I would have been doing the white on white sort of look, and I used to go over to the Daimaru department store and buy um, buy cute little baked goods from Paul Bacuse Bakery and bring them back to RMIT and photograph them in the studio. What? So that was the first stuff that I was doing, and I think we were using pretty rudimentary gear in the studio in second year, and there was you know, no natural light. So it was all being, you know, we'd have to light it. And I think it was with a continuous tungsten light oh. and we were shooting four or five transparencies wow. on a four or five camera. Yes, yeah, so really showing my age. Um, and, you know, and then having to get them developed and, you know, shooting Polaroids that cost $5 each, you know, to test your exposure. <laughs> so different now. Um, but, that yeah, that was the first time I started food. And then I um, went on to start shooting a lot of food at the age so my my I think one of my first food one of my first memorable food photographs or food shoots at the age would have been I think it was a cover of Epicure that um they got this is how I met Caroline Velick they got Caroline Velick the food stylist to come into the age studio um and and style I think the cover story was on dips and so we did, did some <laughs> shoot, shoot on dips in the age studio and that was all no natural light or all 
athlete as well. So the Age is our national newspaper here, and Epicure was their food magazine. They st- is that still going? Epicure? Yes, I think yep. it's called um, Epicure Good Living. It was yep. a, they sort of merged the Sydney and Melbourne um, um, supplements. Um, so it, yeah, it was a bit of an institution called Epicure for a while. Now I think it's Epicure Good Living, but I, I'm not exactly sure on that. I've sort of taken it for granted that I know that, but I'm not actually sure anymore. So did you get a cadetship at the age? Was that how um, it worked or did you join a staff? Um, I, when I, as soon as I finished RMIT, I did a week's work experience at the age. Um, and, and I, I was just after uni cause I had to still be insured. I remember that. Oh. Um, so I did a week's work experience and then they asked me back, I think three months later, they offered me a full-time job. Um, and which I was, I was you know, so lucky to get. And yeah. I, it was with, um, it was with features and magazines specifically. So I was, I was pretty much always doing features and magazines work, um, and rarely doing the news stuff, which is probably good because it's not really, I'm not yeah. really great at it. I, I really admire it and love it. And I loved working alongside those guys, but, um, my yeah, my I suppose my background was more features sort of work. So, so um, you, you, you work experience, which is like an internship for 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 that one week. What on yes. earth did you do to like? You obviously must have done something wrong to get no, to get some, do something right. Sorry to to get <laughs> to get noticed. What, what is it? What what do you think? made you stand out and be remembered and for them to offer you a job? Because it's not enough to just turn up every day and, you know, wear the right shoes. I think you needed to do something. What Um, do you think? I I think there's probably a combination of things and luck would have and timing would have played a big part. Um, I I do think that – I mean, I remember my mum saying to me once that in job interviews, a huge percentage of what's going on is that they're asking themselves, could they stand to be around this person five yep. days a week? Yep. And so I think, um, I think I got along well with the other staff members and, um, and I really loved, you know, I was so enthusiastic and I was so, I'd grown up, um, like my parents are such fans of the newspaper and, um, I'd, I'd sort of grown up in a family where that newspaper was kind of worshipped and so I really um, I I think I I would have seemed so enthusiastic and really appreciative of being there and I did notice over the the years that I spent there sometimes that wasn't so much the case with work experience students and they did sort of a bit cocky and not that interested and just there because some family friend had gotten them them a spot or something so um, I think that I I think the fact that I really appreciated being there um worked in my favor um yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think it was a combination of things. I think uh, that enthusiasm is good, and I've got like uh, I apologise. We'll try and cut some of Gary out as he was um, <laughs> commenting on your thing, but I think he totally agrees with. The, I think uh, like I've had assistants come through, and the ones that uh, I will take um, often take the ones that are really enthusiastic mm-hmm. over the ones that that may have the the amazing folio, but they're kind of a bit like you feel like 
they're a bit bored to be there. And I yeah. think, uh, I think, <sighs> I think um, enthusiasm is a really beautiful thing. And to say like, I'm excited to be here and I'm excited about this and I want to learn more. Who doesn't want to work around someone like that? And exactly. <laughs> I love the point that you made about the fact that, you know, that what, what your mum said that a, like a job interview is really that someone wants to know if they can stand being around you five days a week. I think that's like we, we <laughs> people don't really think about that sort of thing, but that's 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 what it is at the end of the yeah. day. Um, so, all right, so you got this amazing opportunity, and like looking through uh, your website, uh, I, I can see that a lot of your like you've done some beautiful portraits, and you had access to um, some amazing high-profile uh, like international celebrities, like Jack Black, I see there, and um, <laughs> Adrian Gronier, and um, like who's uh, a chick out of, I recognise her, uh, Renee Zellweger, uh, yes, <laughs> amazing yes. cheekbones too. Yeah, yeah. So those images, like I imagine uh, they're a lot of them are part of their press junkets and yes. uh, I've done a lot of those and it's literally, okay, you've got 30 seconds. Oh, so totally. you can get it done and in I, 15. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, I mean, I was really lucky, as, as you say, yes, it, it, I was lucky to have the opportunity to photograph those people because that is such a rare, a rare opportunity. But, um, it, yeah, it's so funny because I think with the Renee Zellweger shoot, I'm pretty sure I had 12 seconds shooting her because I, I know I shot, you know, I was shooting about a frame a second and I had 12 frames. Um, and that was, you know, those press junkets, as you'd know, Gina, yeah. often in a big hotel sort yeah. of conference room um, and there's uh, 30 so people. many photographers. <laughs> and 30 and, people watching you. You've got the minder, yes. you've got Bubba, the bodyguard, who's standing yes. right next to the publicist, the manager. Yeah. Uh, and it's dead silent as you shoot. It's like, yes. yeah. So well, those, ha- <laughs> um, Renee, she was, that wasn't even a one-on-one sort of time. That was just a huge room where all the photographers are in at the one point and she would just walk around from photographer to photographer oh. um, and they'd have a, a, you know, then shoot. But I sort of figured out early on in those things that most of the photographers there were press photographers um, just with their on-camera flash and mm. to make it, you know, to get a different shot, um, I'd bring two or three different bits of background paper, um, gaffer tape them to the wall, one on top of each other, and then um, bring my little portable um, studio flash with a softbox. It was generally yeah. just one softbox um, and maybe a reflector and have it, have an assistant with me, and that was often the work experience <laughs> student. Um, or or um, I don't know how I got assistance for some of those. I think a work experience students did, did do a few of them, and I would just have, um, you know, I think with Renee, I took sort of four shots and then the assistant would rip down one back background, another four, and then another four. And oh, so I had you go. <laughs> three background options. I mean, not, not all the shots were successful either. Yeah. That's, that's the other, but you know, if I got one decent shot out of it, I'd be pretty happy. And it was the same deal with Jack Black, although he, I did have one-on-one time with him, but you know, often they're really jet lagged and yeah. I mean, that, it, it was just lovely. But, um, and so with Renee from the 12 seconds I had with her. But, so 12 um, seconds, no, you, you don't even have time to connect. You can can't even how do you how do you create a rapport you just got to is it the way that you like 
have that energy that's like, I know my shit here. I know what I'm doing. It's like, and you're telling them to like, is that how you're doing it? Because there's no time to like do the little chit chat to warm them up even. Yeah, I think so. I think with with some of them, I've had a little bit more t- more time. Um, but yeah, we're in that in that 12 second sort of window. Um, no, but I mean, they're, I think they're often just as keen to get a good shot and get out of there too, you know, so you know, and she just sort of knows how to work, work it. it. And, you know, so many at that level do. It's um, it's often the, you know, the less famous ones that are, uh, you know, a, a bit more difficult to work with, I suppose. But yeah. not necessarily. I mean, it just depends on the person. But I think, yeah, they they do respond well if, if you if you know what what if you look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, my favourite portrait of yours is of the artist, uh, the, the series actually that you did of Mirka, oh. uh, uh, Maura. Um, but you capture because she has when you look into her eyes, she's a child. She has those child qualities, like yes. you know, and you captured that beautifully. When I saw that those, I thought, oh my god, she got her. She nailed it. That these are the most beautiful shots of oh, her that I'd ever you. seen. I really love those. So much energy and personality, you know. Um, Oh, thanks, Gina. That's funny you say that because that that shoot was actually, you know, that is um, memorable for me as as one of my all-time favourite shoots. And I've photographed Merka a few times Mm. and I just adore her. And, um, you know, she is just her happiness is yes. just infectious and she's just such a wonderful tr- national treasure I think and um and sh- that shoot was just so fun it was I had um an assistant at the time Erin who was a wonderful assistant and um we it was first story for Sunday Life magazine on people's favorite beaches and so there were quite a few sort of um well-known people interviewed and um they had to talk about their favorite beaches and so we drove to Merkur favorite beach which was black rock and um you know she in the article she talks about her favorite beach because of, she used to you know have sex with her lovers on the beach <laughs> I mean, she's just such a character and like, she would have been you know in her 70s, 70s there and, yeah yeah and um and so we we were all fully clothed of course because it was just a you know an after, afternoon in, in in it was it was summer but um Merca just I just thought we'd be photographing her um on the sand and I had my assistant with, um, I think, I'm not, I can't even remember. I think she, she either only had a reflector or she may have had a softbox with a portable Norman's flash or something on it, but I think it was just a reflector. Um, and we, well, I thought we'd be just on the sand, but Merca just walked into the ocean fully clothed. And so we just followed her and, um, fully clothed. I think I was probably wearing Birkenstock sandals, <laughs> <laughs> a little denim skirt. I, I don't know. And I, we were just, we were, the three of us were just waist deep in, in water. And, I, you know, I would just, that was one of the days where I, just you know remember thinking oh, I can't believe I get paid to do this you know I love being a photographer those, those days yeah. where it's just so joyous and um, you, it, you like, know what it, it oozes out of every one of these images how much how much you loved taking the photo and I think it's like a it is a partnership and when you get that click with someone as you have here like she she bring the joy she brought the joy but you you also brought it out of her and uh created this this beautiful wonderful series and for those of you who don't know uh who she is she's an amazing uh french-born 
Mm. Uh, visual artist and uh, yeah, a, like worth checking out her stuff. So that's that. All your portraits, amazing, and that's I think that's a great sort of uh, like baptism of fire, like because you're having to turn up and shoot, and a lot of these there's no time for faffing around. So you kind of do, do you think that that allowed you to become more decisive? in the way that you shoot because there's no time to be second-guessing what well, is... Yeah, I, well, I have, that's funny because I, with particularly with, when I was with The Age, a lot of my stuff, um, a lot of the shoots you don't get any notice for. You know, you'd turn up on the day and you'd get handed your job sheets, right. <laughs> um, which they were using at the time, and, and you'd have this list of, I mean, then it did progress to <laughs> everything via email, but um, you'd get your job sheets for the day and and you, and that, that's when... That would sometimes be the first time you'd you'd learn what you'd be shooting that day and you'd have so there was no time you know now that I'm freelance and um doing more commercial photography you know sometimes you have a couple of weeks to Mm. have pre-production meetings and get a brief and prepare and I mean with with the editorial portraits for the age there's often no brief or you know that not not really a brief just photographing this person for this story um and no time to to sort of prepare really or limited time um, and sometimes um, I suppose that was beneficial because there was less time to freak yourself out <laughs> um, and overthink things but um, I did I did actually find that um, stressful as well um, but but I found it really challenging in a good way too yeah um, but I I think with with the portraiture I I mean you mentioned building rapport with a subject and I do think a good portrait is so often a collaboration between the subject and the photographer and you can really tell that in in port in good portraits um that the person seems relaxed and I think it's particular talent that um I don't know that I've well I certainly haven't always nailed it but um photographers that I really admire in in their work the you know the subjects just look like they've known the photographer forever and Mm. I think um I I really like to um show a person looking almost a bit proud um because I think that's such a contrast to what we see in you know I mean well actually it's changed a bit with selfies now because we now we have a duck face and yes. um, lots of confidence. <laughs> but for a while there, you know, I'd just see photos on social media and or fo- fo- you know happy snap photos of family and friends, and people would be almost cringing away from the camera, camera, you know, and yeah. um, and knowing that it'd be a bad photo, you know. Um, so I think that's a real contrast um, from amateur photography to professional photography. If you can, if you can um, have your subject so at ease that they look almost proud or at yep. least very relaxed and happy and uh, in the and confident confident I suppose is the word I'm yes. looking for um, in in the shot I think that's a, a really interesting point of difference because we're not so used to seeing um, confidence except for all the selfie duck face yeah <laughs> I, I totally agree yeah. and I think that's uh, all about working uh, working with the the model and and knowing what to look for and, and engaging you know yeah um, cool. that's important so all right so how did how did food become such a, a big part of your um, photography then? So was it just that you started getting into it, and have you always been a foodie? Um, well, I, I, um, it's, it's sort of a good segue here because because I was doing a lot of those 
portraits for The Age and their magazines. Um, so um, Fairfax in Melbourne and Sydney have uh, Sunday Life and Good Weekend. Mm. And at the time we were also doing a magazine called The Age Melbourne magazine, which was a big glossy. Yeah, it was beautiful. Had one. Yeah, it was mm. gorgeous. And mm. because, um, I mean, I loved shooting for those magazines and I, I was fortunate to be able to shoot quite a few covers and major features. Mm. But because there was often limited um, prep time or warning for anything and often limited resources and budgets and um, I as much as I love those shoots um, I also found them quite stressful and I you know at the end of them I'd think wow I can't believe I, we pulled that off you know and I'd be I'd be so happy with it but I'd be really freaked out <laughs> before the shoot and during the shoot and so um I, I started doing food at the age as a nice um, antidote to that, really, um, oh, sort of fortuitously, nice. <laughs> fortuitously um, as a as because I considered food shoots to be so relaxing compared mm. to those big sort of covers with maybe a celebrity or or whatever. Um, I the food shoots were just so chilled out um, compared to that, and I, not to say that they're always easier. I did find them easier in many ways, but they're not always easy because there can be such a technical aspect and you sort of have to know your you know your stuff in uh, in different situations but generally I found them much easier and sort of the the pace uh, a bit less crazy and um sort of relaxing and when I started out a lot of the food shoots I ended up doing it stylist um the stylist Caroline Bellick's uh, home or um, some, some of them were at Stephanie Alexander's home or um, another food writer at the time was Brigitte, Haf- Brigitte Hafner um, and we'd do it at her restaurant and it was just, you know, it was just ha- hanging out in these nice um, settings and with nice people photographing food and then eating it and so it was, it was just, it was really a stress, um, it, was, it was a stress management thing as much as anything that I got into food photography. It sounds beautiful. And and so back then, two thousand, there wasn't a lot um there wasn't a lot of information out there in terms of like, you know, net today you can look up how to photograph food and you might find some blogs and things like that. But back in two thousand not much existed at all and I think photographers were very um, secretive about their techniques as well. There wasn't this uh, open sharing that that goes on Mm. now which I think is fantastic. Who who were your mentors back then? Like how did you – develop your style and and oh. know whether what you're doing was right because I think in portraits maybe you can look at other stuff and mm-hmm. say you know I think I'm on the right track and you I think you definitely really had a a beautiful strong style with your portraits and I think that that the example you gave where you just thought well I'll just you know I'm in a hotel room photographing someone famous why should I have the curtains as a background because they're usually horrible places I mean that was really clever of you to think oh just have a a bit of paper and stick it up and make that background who were you looking to to um who helped you uh develop your food uh photography well I think um you're you're right at the time there was sort of weren't it was it was really emerging this whole food photography um, genre and mm. um, and I I think um, I pro- it was probably um, a lot of the magazines that were that were 
coming out or were around at the time, mainly Gourmet Traveller and, and the Donna Hay one that, that started. And some of the, the new cookbooks that were emerging were definitely um, were, were definitely used as, as inspiration. And mm. um, and I and I think there was a photographer, Con Poulos, who yep. was shooting a lot of the yeah, Donna Hay stuff. And so I, I sort of followed his work from pretty early on and that was just so beautiful. Um, and all, all the Gourmet Traveller stuff, was was beautiful so we de- definitely sort of had had those as um as references and and that were really inspiring i think i drew on, early on i drew on a lot of the the sort of um lighting rules i use i'll use yeah. that term loosely yeah. but that I learned at RMIT um, in 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 those early studio sort of sessions, um, and just learning a bit about um, backlighting. Back, you know, mm. backlighting has been a pretty major thing in food photography. I sort of uh, combine that with side lighting, um, and it, things go through um, fashions, yeah. I suppose, of um, of styles. But I, I sort of was early on pretty aware of. Um, that you could use backlighting to accentuate highlights and reflections in food, particularly in any any sort of glossy sources. Mm. Um, I sort of, early on I was um, conscious of being able to show food at its best in term, and usually that would incorporate um, using reflections um, and often accentuated with backlighting um, to advantage. And I I remember um, in in those early studio sessions using trace paper because I think, you know, we were using um, continuous tungsten lights at that stage, but sort of getting a piece of trace paper and um, I'm using my hand to describe it. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But having having trace paper um, set up in a way, and I'm going to try and explain this, so that it's sort of almost not draped but um, came perhaps from the back of the table um, and then up over the food um, at an angle so that it was – I'm not explaining this well at all. Um, so from the back of the table, it would be touching the table yeah. and then would go up at an angle um, – to be sort of a, perhaps about a meter above the food at the at the front, sort of near where You've the camera was, created and... a reverse psych with the paper. Yes, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so putting a light onto that, so it's sort of, yeah, creating like a light source that yeah. is somewhat sort of tilted over yes. the subject so, um, from slightly behind yep. um, and then having a light through that, then any, um, any sort of liquid or moisture in the food is going to, um, or, or just any shiny surface in the yeah. food is going to reflect that beautiful diffuse highlight of, of the trace. Um, so I, you know, I remember doing that at uni and, um, and I think I've, I've always ha- really, if I can sound a bit technically, like a bit of a technical wanker, yeah, which I'm, you know, yeah. I'm so not technical. Um, but, um, I've, always the main concept I've really used with my photography is is a uni taught one which is the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection which um, draws on the fact that light travels in a straight line and I've always got that in my mind really you know when I'm figuring out where something's going to reflect and you know yeah that's it's always always in my mind that that 
in principle, I suppose. I so, don't know if I explain it, any of no, that. No, that sounds amazing then. This is like the, the way I uh, try and teach that theory is it's like just imagine if you had a ping pong ball <laughs> and you uh, you bounce it against a wall. So you, you, like where it, ref- it where it hits the wall, it'll it'll bounce back at the, the at the, a similar angle to how it came into the wall, you know. And so you can think about lighting in the same way. If you're working with lighting, you can you can reflect it into your food. You can um, you know have it aimed at the food and know how you're going to a- a- angle the light. And so I think that's a beautiful idea using that uh, the trace paper even early on. It's kind of like um, it, I think good lighting doesn't look like it's lit. Yes, and, yeah. uh, and that's what you're trying to go for and you're trying to create um, really subtle sh- uh, shadows and uh, it mimics uh, natural light and so that to me sounds like almost the light that you would get on a uh, an overcast day. It's not heavy cloud but it's a light cloud cover and it gives you a bit of edge to the lighting so that you're picking up the highlights but it's not giving you those um, harsh shadows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, sw- I suppose my... Um... I mean, my style has <laughs> has changed a lot, and I, and most of that is that I've you know been learning along the way and have needed to learn and have learnt from mistakes. And um, you know, I, when I look back to some of my early stuff, it's just so you know just cringe. Yeah. And yeah. and of course, with having a lot of my stuff on file with newspapers, um, they can pop up. You know, really old <laughs> shots can pop up online, oh, no. which is a bit, <laughs> a bit embarrassing. But um, I yeah, I see now. I'm I, yeah, I do um, light food to look like window light yes. um, most of the time um, and I for me it's been um, just absolutely necessary to, to know how to do that and to have the op- always have the option of using lights because I might have to shoot in a studio with no windows or yep. um, or it might be middle of winter and the, you know the light runs out really early and um, or or just for if I've got a huge volume of stuff to get through for the consistency if I can light it then I'm not dealing with um changing color temperatures all day and you know I've got I've got a really nice consistency so yeah but I'm still trying to make it look like nice window light I I suppose more lately I've um in the last few years been using um I use um what I call cutters um but big bounce boards of of like a white, white yep. yeah, white foam core or black foam core. So I'm often, you know, um, bouncing a little bit of light back in with some white card, and then using um, black black card to accentuate the shadows and give a bit of shape. Yes, um, and yeah, I like getting a, a good amount of, of black in there. It's sort of, I mean, it depends on the subject always, and I, you know, um, or every every dish I sort of have to take <laughs> on its own value and um, and adjust the lighting accordingly. And I think that's a, an important thing to to you know be able to do is, is you know something can you can sort of have the setup in your mind, but the food can come out and there's white rice right next to where your light source is, and uh, there's and, you know yeah. squidding you know or something dark not with yeah. rice, but you know something dark on the other side, and you have to you know change things around and be able to you know be able to accommodate. Um, 
different food looks yeah so you're building your shots and it is highly technical and like look in in like i always say that if um uh natural light and flash if there was ever an option and you could go with natural light then yes definitely do that but like as you're saying when it comes to food and if you're working with a client it's usually not just one shot they're hiring you for and often it takes i think about an hour and a half per shot it would i be safe to say that to get it like uh once everyone's happy and it's styled and everything so if you're doing um eight shots in a day the window light in the morning is going to be kind of bluish it'll be coming in at a certain angle by afternoon that same middle window light is gone so yeah you you you're going to get eight completely different shots and if that client is wanting a cookbook or a series of packaging shots it's impossible to get that consistency so i think it's absolutely crucial if you want to take your food photography to the next level that you do learn to light and be able to create like what you're doing here which is um beautiful simulated window light that you would look at it and you you wouldn't couldn't believe that it is um it isn't window light because it's it's so beautiful but it's so perfect which is the the thing that um, i love about it oh thank you i do i use a um a scrim a lot uh um, i think it's like six foot by six foot um i think it's a half grid yeah i think (laughs) it might be a quarter but i think it's a half i'm not sure um and it's so it's not too diffuse, so yes. um, it doesn't, you know, it's not too flat. The light, so, so it's you've got, got that a bit, bit of, of edge. It. It's got a bit of hardness, yeah. bit of bite. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's been great because I can, you know, sort of, I've got a frame for it. I can set it up, and it and it and it pretty much becomes like a big window. You know, it looks like a yeah. six foot by six foot window. Um, so that, it, that's been great. So, like, you've got the scrim. Is there a uh, a light with a softbox over there? And what sort of lighting are you using? Um, what, what because each brand of lighting has its own um sort of color temp too like oh, yeah, you can get right. super neutral you can get a little bit warm like what what are you using as your studio lights um the ones i own uh are bowens which were yep. sort of affordable affordable for me when i first went freelance um yep. The, uh, I've got a portable um, kit so I can use them on like, you know, without power cords and stuff yep. if I need to for, por- for portraits, portraits. But um, I've just got like a floor pack with those, um, the kit with those and some old Bowens that I, another old kit that I've sort of had to re- retire. Um, yep. But often I'll be um, hiring um, bronze colour or pro photo yep. equipment. Pro photo um, so neutral. It's like, so yeah. neutral. <laughs> yeah. And, and what are you using? Are you just using that scrim or are you do you have a, another softbox through the oh, scrim? Is it naked? So I'll have a um the scrim with a with a um just one usually just one head um flash head with a um little dish on it, like just yep. a little reflector. Yep. Um so yeah, the head's pretty much bare basically. Um right. going through through the scrim because it's the scrim does diffuse it a, you know, a fair bit. Yeah. Um and and not often using soft boxes with, yep. with the food stuff, but yep. I, but occasionally, like I do a, a sort of a I do a shoot for um, a, 
uh, ballroom actually in in Melbourne um, underneath a, a theatre, and of course there's no there's no light in there. It's yeah. underground, and so I set up um, scrim, and I do have a um, do use a softbox to one side with that. I have the scrim sort of coming over from behind, but slightly from one side, and then a, then a softbox on the side at the front as well. But that's a very much a studio look rather than um, uh, rather than aiming for the beautiful window light look there we're doing sort of more of a producty studio look for for that setup but mm. um but yeah gen- generally i'll just have the have the scrim um and may with with a head through it and and bounce um from from the boards um reflecting or maybe sometimes use little mirrors but not often um usually just bounce from um white cards and um and then black cards to accentuate shadows um sometimes i'll have an extra head just like maybe bouncing off the roof or depending on where i'm shooting um you know usually at a um, much lower um power yep. that's just filling in a little just, bit or um, I sort of it's, yeah I, I don't have really a uniform lighting setup because it just really depends, depends where on, you are yeah and depends on what what um, you know what the food's looking like and um yeah I hope that's yeah that no it's so are yeah. you killing all and so if even <laughs> if you're going into a studio where there is it, 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 or a kitchen that is lit with daylight are you overriding the ambient completely and just using your um scrim setup with naked naked head with the through the scrim and and creating lighting from scratch um, or are you sometimes. using ambient as a little bit of fill and playing yeah, with that sometimes i use uh, ambient as a bit of fill yeah um and i really like and that's another that's another um area where the old rmit <laughs> training uh you know i do still still use those principles is um that it's really nice to be able to use flash but know how to govern your um, your ambient light via exposure with your shutter speed, speed and with your aperture and to, you know, and to have complete control over exactly how much flash is hitting the sensor and exactly how much um, ambient light is hitting the sensor and to really be able to, you know, down to a third of a stop control um, those increments is, is really helpful. Yeah, fantastic. So um, say uh, like for a newbie starting out and they're wanting to do uh, some food photography and they've nailed the daylight. So, you know, mm-hmm. like what if you wanted to shoot food, good food with daylight, what, what, what would be your recommendation there? And then if you wanted to create uh, some sort of uh, really quick and easy, uh, simple uh, setup for shooting with flash, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for daylight, I would. I, would um, I mean, not all daylight, not all window lights created equal, I suppose. So um, I would look for really good window light, and often here that's south light. I think um, um, just for the way it sort of seems to um, come into the windows here or not. Um, yeah. But um, so if you've got some really good good window light i mean where i'm where i'm looking out to at the moment it's not great window light where i'm sitting in my lounge room because it um looks out over a deck which is like lots of orangey wood that the light bounces off Uh um so you know that that it's not actually great great window light where i am but um i would look for um preferably a big window um 
and and that's the one light source in a room so you're not having you know windows on the opposing walls as well and uh you know so you don't have light coming from all these different directions right. but if you've got one dire- directional window light that's fantastic um and i would um either backlight or side light or somewhere in between the food um, and then use white well, a reflector or a whiteboard to bounce a bit of light back and use blackboards um, to uh, varying shapes and size yeah. or varying sizes of shapes but to um, accentuate the shadows and to just and play around with those. like if you can get um, if you can get a good um, just a good lot of white big white cards for yourself and big black yep. cards and smaller cards and um and a tripod and obviously and um and and maybe a really thin scrim would help as well because sometimes you know if, you, if, if you've only got one window to use and the sun comes blaring in um um directly you don't yep. want you don't really want that on on your food generally if you can sort of diffuse it or cut it back a little bit um with a thin scrim like maybe a quarter grid or a, um half grid um, uh, or you could use a uh, a shower curtain yes, or you yes. know and there's all sorts of other similar materials that will allow the light through not but not yeah. change the color of the light so you want something that's a, a nice clean white uh yes. you know because you can get uh blue white you can get green white <laughs> so you don't want to the last thing you want to do is add color cast to your food yep. right so <laughs> right. so and also um those five in one reflectors inside yes. those you get uh you get a, a like a, a, a diffuser or a scrim yep. so same thing same sort of material as well um and that that that's a really simple setup so obviously you said uh shoot to tripod um so, uh, like, when you're shooting, how does it? When you've got food, it's not going anywhere, right? So, how how slow are you shooting when um, you might I, do it? I suppose it just depends on if I'm um, incorporating ambient light at all, mm. or if I'm if I'm just shooting daylight. So it just depends on on how much light there is around. Generally, I'm um, shooting, you know, fairly short depth of field, not too short, because I think that was an, that was a really early look where, you know, everyone felt a <laughs> bit myopic in <laughs> photographs, so that was the really short depth of field. One very in shooting, focus, yeah, yeah. wide open, um, but. But so, you know, and different different clients have different um, requirements for that too. Um, it's, it's, but it's you know, it's generally shortish depth of field. So yeah. it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm having to sh- shoot at f twenty two and um, yeah. so. You know, I'm, but it, I'm not. So I'm not shooting ultra slow shutter speeds. But um, sometimes, you know, just if there's not much light around and I'm shooting um, natural light, then yeah, I suppose I'm off. I, for some reason, that an eighth is popping into my head. I'm often yeah. shooting it at an eighth of yeah. a second. Um, it just depends. Or a fifteenth. I'm not sure what. It, yeah, yeah, it just depends. Um, but obviously, if I'm if I'm shooting flash and I don't want any ambient, then I'm shooting at um, a one twenty fifth. But um, but often I'm incorporating a bit of amb- ambient. Um, into the into the flash lit shots. And have you got a uh, a favourite lens, a favourite focal length, like or again, are you um, chopping and changing with that too, depending on the setup? I g- generally, I for most of my f- food work, my most used lens would be um, the ninety mil um, tilt shift. 
mm-hmm. um, that Canon does. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and I love I love that lens, and I, I've I, I've actually got all the tilt shift lenses. I love them. Really? Um, yeah. Not that I you know not that I'm, I use um, the wide ones much at all, but um, they're just a beautifully crafted, sharp lens that and the tilt. Um, the tilt capabilities are really great for food photography. You know, we, we, if you can govern the focal plane and um, and really select which elements you want in focus, not that you want it looking too too bizarrely. funky, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wacky. But um, you know, if you're dealing with, if you say you want, you know, the front of a burger or something sharp, but you also um, need, you know, an element on the top of the burger a bit sharper. If you, you can govern the focal plane essentially, so um, you can tilt it so the focus line runs instead of parallel to the uh, film sensor or film plane, not film anymore, digital yeah. sensor. Um, you can tilt it um, to run at an angle to that, and um, so that that's really useful in a lot of stuff. It's often just really subtle, subtle tilt but um, yep. really helpful uh, and it's just a really sharp lens I do find sometimes it's a little long and I'm wanting that a little bit more width yes. um, so often I've sort of in a kitchen up... where you're back you're in the you're already in the in the um, pantry <laughs> with your you <laughs> yeah, know exactly. with spices exactly. in your back trying to yeah. get that right right angle yeah <laughs> yeah and I think there's I mean it, sometimes you just want to show a bit more shape and depth in a shot like it's just a tiny bit more that maybe sitting around 70 mils yeah. will allow whereas you know if you're getting towards 50 mils that's often 50 mil um that's often a bit too wide and distortive yes. um so I, yeah i think around a 70 uh 70 millimeters a good point but yeah i mean sometimes if it's like a really close up thing that's re- required a tiny sort of macro shot i've used the 50 mil macro that's that's great but um yeah ge- generally i'm most often using the 90 if i'm shooting um direct overheads um i've off- i've recently been using the 45 tilt for the overheads and just making well, you're sure tilting it's- the overheads as well how well, do you know i'm just using it as a <laughs> just, um, as just as because that's it's right. sharp yeah, 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 yeah. so I, yeah, I don't have the tilt on but um just because it's really beautifully sharp lens because it's you know it's because it's not a zoom it's sort of um you know there's less um less glass for the light to to go through i suppose yeah. so i mean a lot of zooms are amazing now yes anyway but it's um but it's yeah it's a really nice sharp lens um and it it's as long as i like I, this is a little tip that um i use in a lot of my food photography is to correct the perspective sort of error that you get um when photographing because you often um food photographers or aspiring food photographers would know you, you often frame up a shot whether you're on um a 45 degree angle or um if you're shooting from overhead and the vessels um if they're like glasses of water yeah. or wine or whatever look like they're leaning out of the frame they look like they're on a really a really sort of um accentuated lean even though they're you know that they're straight and it's just that um it's just the laws of perspective um make that happen in the shot um so I use coins to um, tuck under the um, oh, glasses. That's or clever. Plates. That's yeah. clever. Um, so that that corrects um, that sort of distortion that you that you get. So my 
my sets are often um, just littered with coins when the plates are taken away. Or the, so it's or the coins glasses. under the plates and if it's a glass, you'll put the coin under the tablecloth so you can't yeah, see the coin yeah, through the glass yeah, kind of thing. And just to, That's yeah, really clever. Thumb. That's a great tip. Yeah, so that coin and a lot of food photographers I know use coins. Oh, I mean, I mean, a lot. I mean, I suppose people use blue tack or um, yep. lots of different things, but Just coins are you know often good. Handy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> what are we doing what? with our fives and tens and twenties these days? They're yeah. useless, so you may as well um, have them on your set. Exactly, um, yeah. The the other thing that I notice about your photography of late is the the introduction of the human element now yes. has come into it because it used to be that it'd be uh like you know in the margaret fulton days it'd be the food perfectly arranged on the on the plate not a speck of it like it looks so uninviting like it's like don't touch like <laughs> overstyled within an inch of its life and then you start to see the trend where it's like the I call it like a messy kind of styling where like there would be uh dribs of um you know honey uh, across the plate or some crumbs uh, or yes. the uh, the half-eaten meal out of the pan that, that gives you a sense of like we're there, we're in the room, we're enjoying yeah, this meal, we're part of it. And now I see, I really see more of that human element in your work too where you'll see uh, the hand pouring, the, which – Adds another level of um, stress to the whole shoot because it's oh, not just totally. the... and, that, <laughs> and that's why it's really good to be able to use flash as well for those pouring shots um, yes. to be able to freeze freeze the liquid or or even just hand holding shots. You can you know f- don't you're not having to worry about the shake handshake of the person who's holding something or pouring something. I mean sometimes yeah. that's you know you can get a good a nice sort of blur of whisking or something. Sometimes it's it's great to have a bit of movement, but if you want to freeze that um, pour the Flash is really your friend in that way and, and you don't always have access to such bright um, daylight that would freeze that movement without having to, you know, shoot at a really high ISO. So, um, but, yeah, the, the introduction of the more human element is is definitely a, a trend and I've, I've certainly been following that and really like it and I think yes. people feel that the imagery is accessible you yes. know and I think as you mentioned the the crumbs and the mess and the ooze and all of that is really inviting it um, is. and the food you know it doesn't have to look perfect I think in, in the sort of commercial packaging sort of stuff more so you know it's supposed to look perfect but even some of that now is it's starting to look a bit more editorial and They're accessible that up as well do you think yeah, that the, I, think, I haven't had I a look at a lot of packaging yeah, yeah that's great um, yeah and so um, but I, you know, I can't really take most of the credit for that. Um, I'm fortunate that I've worked with and do work with um, wonderful food stylists who, um, who really, the good ones really set those scenes. And um, and I think the, for a lot of the work that you would be thinking of and that I've sent you, um, a lot of that is a food stylist um, named Jamie Humby, a mm. guy, um, and he's just fantastic. Um, and so and really willing to go that extra mile in terms of um, – you know setting a scene and creating a scene and um because it's uh, it's so much about the food styling and the and and the props styling and it's not just the props now it's the walls and walls in the background and the tabletop yeah. and 
yeah. and it's and and also now a person and what what are they wearing? You know, it's this huge scene that's set and um, Jamie Humby um, is just fantastic and does fantastic work um and also karina duncan um i've been fortunate to work with over the last few years and she also creates beautiful scenes um and we've done quite a few of those human element um shots together and often the human element in the shots are the food stylists so they're also oh, being fantastic <laughs> you know what i love about the, the like the adding of the human element it's like little little touches like the apron isn't perfect ironed yes yeah this appeals to me on so many levels I'm like well that to me is real whereas maybe you go back 10 years and if there was even an apron placed on the side of the shot it would be steamed within an inch of its life and everything did look so so perfect and and like this trend is across the board even like you see in headshots now like like we're we're making them more um accessible as well like the the studio photography has pretty much gone like it doesn't really exist anymore unless it's uh kind of high-end um covers and things like that it's all looking very like open and you see uh some of the environment and it's a lot more relaxed um and you see that in the food photography uh as well so um that, I, I really love that. Just uh, before we go, you've been amazing. Like I've learnt so much today oh. as well. <laughs> Thank um, you. It's been really cool. Uh, have you got any like just little uh, a couple of little hacks that you can? Ch- oh, no, I actually want to ask you. How do you make? <laughs> I've got a friend uh, who has a restaurant in Sydney, and we've done some uh, food tours together. And she's always lamenting. Uh, she's like, you can't make brown food look good. Don't shoot it. Don't don't even like. What do you do with brown food? How do you oh, make it right. look good? <laughs> well, it's it's funny if you can expose it in a way that you're almost overexposing it, then you're go- then you're going to um, be able to show all the all the highlights. If, if it's got some sort of moisture in it, like if it's a stew, and I know this because I've had to photograph goat curries and, and things yeah, at so restaurants. That's, so, yeah, what yeah. do you do? <laughs> so if 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 you have access to a stylist or if you're doing your own styling, if you could put that brown, dark brown, stewy slop into a, a black bowl and, and shoot it on a dark wood or nice dark, dark grey linen or something like that, then you can effectively overexpose it and um, because the black's not going to blow out yeah. of the dish and the, and the dark um, background's not going to blow out. Whereas if you were shoot, trying to shoot it on white and to overexpose it or pale things, they'd all blow out. So if you can shoot it on dark things and you can overexpose it a bit and maybe have some black cutters in, a black, black bounce in there as well to accentuate some of the shadows, but then you can really expose for the highlights and, um, you know, get, get a nice amount of light and, and shade into, into that meat without worrying about blowing everything else out. That is a fantastic hack. I'm going to remember that and uh, (laughs) maybe I can get brown food to look good. Um, I could talk to you all day. This has been amazing because there's so many other things I want to go, but uh, otherwise the poor kids are stuck in Bunnings going, (laughs) can we we come back home now, mummy? No, that's good for them because they've actually been cooped up inside the last couple of days because I've had so much retouching and editing to do. So it's good that they've got a chance to get out. 
Oh, they're going to have such a great eye as they grow up because they're like on your knee watching you. Uh, like they're going to have so much style, I'm sure. Oh, I hope that. they haven't shown any interest in it whatsoever yet, and just you know, all they, they just get frustrated about mummy wanting to take too long to take photos of them. Um, no, they'll we'll rebel. See. They'll rebel totally. They'll they'll for a few years they'll be accountants or something the complete opposite, and then they'll get they'll get back in and do something creative. <laughs> so, um, Marina, thank you so much uh, for for coming on today and sharing all that amazing information and I um, will continue to um, look out for your work and I I really enjoy seeing it. I wish you continued success. Thanks again. Oh, Oh, thanks so much, Gina. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I love that interview. Marina was great. I know. So generous, right? Yeah, she definitely. Was just really, really cool. I, I enjoyed it. And so interesting. I finally know how to make curries look good. I know. <laughs> what a good hack. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> definitely a good hack. We just also want to give a big shout out to everyone in the gold community over at GinaMilitia.com. It's fantastic to have you all in there. So many people from so many different walks of life, from so many countries in the world. And uh, everyone is really into photography, obviously. Obviously, but it's so great to see some of your shots in the private Facebook group. And, of course, um, it's a great place for you who want some critiques from Gina about your photos and also to join the Ask Me Anything Mastermind sessions, which are a great way to tap into Gina's brain live. Uh, but, of course, if you can't make the time, we record it to make sure that all of your questions get answered. And you can also view the entire archive of all of the masterminds as well. So if you're interested, in checking it out, head on over to GinaMilitia.com and click on Join the Community. Aren't they just so inspiring? So uh, many inspiring like people the in there. The stuff that comes through just mm. blows me away. And, like, honestly, like, when you're constantly seeing that amazing work, I'm like, oh, my God, I never thought of doing that. And it's mm. like they inspire me. Yes. But then when you just see them click up to that next level mm. and so quickly, Val, that's why yep. I can't get over it. It's like it's it's – that makes my day every day. It's the, one of the best things I've ever done. I love it. Fantastic. Really so come and join us over at GinaMilitia.com. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this week's episode because I have to go catch a plane. <laughs> but we will do it again soon. We will do it again Excellent. soon. And yeah, we I can't need wait. to. Yeah, with the captain. Yeah, we need, <laughs> we need to do a repeat of a couple of episodes ago where there was um, alcohol involved. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, not thanks for listening. Where do we find you online, Gina? So, GinaMilitia.com, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. You can find me at GinaMilitia on Twitter and Instagram, Pinterest. And uh, if you want to check out some of my uh, YouTube videos, I'm on YouTube, GinaMilitia. Val? Fantastic. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, you'll find me in on, on Facebook as well. Um, just search for, the, search for the Valerie Koo who is in Sydney. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.